Hey, this is Howard Jacobson. Welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm delighted to be on the phone today with Alan Redinger. Is, have I pronounced your last name correctly? Absolutely. You're one of the few. Awesome. So um, I wanted to talk to you this is large, largely um, due to your your uh, cookbooks, Extraordinary Vegan, Paleo Vegan, Speed Vegan, and another one that I actually haven't read, the uh, Omega-3 cookbook. Um, but also because in following you on Facebook and listening to you talk and reading some of your, your writings, you, your cooking is about much more than just cooking. So I'd, lo- I'd love to begin by just having you kind of quickly recap your, uh, the outline of your story for people who may not be, uh, familiar with it to, you know, from a, your, your childhood exposure to, uh, cool food to uh, how, how you ended up uh, working as the sh- a chef to the rich and famous, as you put it. Wow, that's a that's a long story. Well, I, I you know I, I grew up in Mexico. Uh, my 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 father took us there when I was two. So I, I to me that was home, and that was uh, a culture that I that I grew up in, and it was. Uh, you know, to, to people outside, it seems exotic. To me, it was just home. Uh, my parents would never eat Mexican food. My father had a very, very simple taste for such an adventurous man. I, I was uh, surprised, actually. Um, so they would eat, you know, just American food. And uh, my mother taught the mates how to make, uh, you know, seven or eight, maybe nine uh, American menus, uh, you know, meatloaf and, and all the simple stuff. And uh, and they would rotate them, you know. If it was Friday, it was fried chicken or whatever it was. And uh, and I had a voracious appetite, and I would come home from school, uh, one thirty or two, I don't remember exactly. Um, and we had our big meal in the middle of the day, so we'd sit down to eat, and then my parents would go on about their business, and then I would go in the kitchen where all the the exotic smells were coming from. And that was when the, when we were finished with our food, that was when the maids would make their food. And their food was really exotic. I mean, it was fun. It was, they would, they would, you know, it was very, pretty simple to make American food. But when they would be making their food, they, they had, you know, uh, there's a, a volcanic stone mortar called a molcajete, which they, with, with a stone pestle, and they would be mashing up stuff, and they'd be burning the outside of a pepper and sliding off the skin and then mashing it up in this thing. And, and it was it, the smells and the and it'd be frying stuff and it was it was just it was, it was fun to watch and it was exciting. So and I'm, I, I'm, I'm also sorry, delicious. Go so, ahead. So I'm just curious whether even at you know at your your young age, if you noticed something different about the the spirit or the energy of these folks when they were cooking their food as opposed to the meatloaf and fried chicken, was it did it feel <laughs> different to you? Totally. Totally. I mean, it was well. First of all, they they weren't particularly interested in our food. They, it, I, I'm, and I'm assuming it was boring to them because it was it, my my father didn't like any onion. He didn't like any tomato. He didn't like uh, definitely no spice. He you shouldn't even mention the word garlic around him. Oh my goodness! You know, so our food was really bland. Uh, you know, there were ways of making our food interesting, like you know, frying and making it, making the crispy, you know, the, the fried chicken with the with the cornflake crust, you know. Uh, so it, you know, it was it was kind of interesting to the American palate because that's what they were used to. But the maids, they were used to chilies and garlic and and you know, cilantro and all this kind of stuff. And so for them, it was kind of like, okay, we'll make it. But we're not eating it. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> we got to make our own food, guys. This is, 
And, you know, the thing that, that excited me the most when I was little, uh, you know, when I was six or seven, was the way they would heat a tortilla on the open flame. We had gas stove. And they would just put the put a, the tortilla on the on the open flame and then flip it with the bare hand. And I was like, how do you do that without burning your hand? And they would go, oh, you know, a little bit. It burns a little bit, but not bad. You know, it's just a little, you real quick, you know, it doesn't hurt you. And, of course, the immediate question was, can I do it? And they were like, sure, yeah, you're here. You just grab it like this and just flip it. <laughs> and and it was so exciting that I could do something like stick my hand in the fire <laughs> but not burn myself. And uh, and, I, and then my favorite treat from then on when I come home from school, because, you know, often lunch wasn't ready uh, and I'd be hungry. And they so they would they would let me make you know flip a couple of tortillas over the over the over this thing get a light charring on it and then butter it and, and sprinkle it with salt and eat it and that was it was delicious and to this day to me that is the ultimate comfort food uh, although I've changed from butter to coconut oil and with with no loss of enjoyment whatsoever I mean to me that it's just a little fat on it with a little salt and that that that, that lightly charred corn tortillas is delicious it's delicious. And that's that was my my beginning. Really, it was I got attracted to the kitchen because it was an exciting place. I mean, it was something that that stuff was going on. It was alchemical. I mean, it was just transforming this the stuff that you would get from the market into something that was really really packed with flavor, vibrant with color, and it was it was fun. That's what that's that was my beginning. <laughs> so let's let's fast forward. I know you had you had a. Uh... A period of many years that I find very inspiring, where you just didn't know what you wanted to do, and you just tried a bunch of stuff. Um, but you said it, at one point you you got your first job cooking for someone, and you you don't say who it is in the introduction to uh, one of the. Books. I never. I I often don't um, name people. Um, sometimes because I have things to say about them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, the operative word in private chef is oddly enough not chef; it's private. They, right. you know, and I understand. I mean, if somebody comes into my house to clean it, that that isn't that isn't permission for them to go and blab about how dirty it was. You know, it's you know, right. it, it, it's, it's it's a privilege to go into someone's house, right. and but you I'm, need to respect it. So, but I wanted to ask because you you had some very kind things to say about this this person, who it sounded like reading between the lines was extremely demanding but raised your game to the level where you where food was was artistry where you were in, right. in search of perfection and there's lots of chefs out there and lots of really good ones you obviously honed your skill to the point where you were cooking at a stratospheric level higher than most can you tell talk a little bit about your first experiences with someone being really Demanding and and wanting and having a well, you know, palate oddly perfection. enough, it wasn't it wasn't the the this 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 gentleman was not did not come across as demanding. He was actually very down to earth and 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 considerate and kind. But he had about him such a level of of excellence. I mean, just the just the way you would never you would never see him disheveled. You would never see him unshaven. You would. Ne- I mean, he was he was impeccable in his manner, and he in- really enjoyed fine food. I mean, really, really food that he, he, he even mentioned to me because I, I guess the people who had cooked Mexican food for him before uh, had made kind of that kind of uh, low 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 quality American version of Mexican food. Uh, and he saw me working at it the way I had learned when I was a kid. Uh, 
and he he said that he said I like I like that you take the time to do it right. And that was extremely inspiring to me because he he understood that you know you have to make some effort, especially with ethnic foods, because ethnic foods are typically made in countries where originally they had no blender, they had no refrigerator, they so they had to do whatever they did. They had to do that day, you know, they had to get it done, and uh, it took it took considerable work. And they used, like I say, stone mortars and things like that. So he valued someone who didn't look at it like, oh, I got to do all this work, but looked at it as I've got to make this right. I got to make it, you know, flavorful. I got to make it the way it's 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 meant to be made in 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 the country of its origin. And he valued that. And he also valued uh, someone who was willing to do that. You know, he 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 appreciated it, and that that had a, had an effect on me. Two things. One, I was valued. And the other, if I could make something that would hit that spot, you know, where he would go, mmm, that discerning palate. So this is someone who had eaten in some of the finest restaurants in the world. I mean, this is somebody who uh, and valued something of, of, of quality. I mean, all, everything he had, he wanted it to be good quality. And that inspired me because if I could do that, it meant that I had really done something. It, you know, it wasn't just, you know, okay, now I can go home and I, I get paid and then I can go on about my business. This was something that it challenged me. I wanted I wanted him to be uh, pleased. You know, I, you know I, it was one time, you know, I made this very complicated dish. Uh, not vegan, but, you know. <laughs> uh, he, and he... He, he was eating it, and he, one of his kids, very young kids, you know, he said, "What, his, Daddy, what is this? Because it was unfamiliar to him. And he said, this dish takes a long, long time to prepare, and it's superb. Hmm. And that just made my week, you know. <laughs> when, you, when somebody like that, you, you, and, you, and, you, and you can manage to really just, you know, impress them, that's... Uh, that's in, that's inspiring, and then and you know you want to do that the next day and the next day and the next day. So I I I went from somebody who was you know who could cook to somebody who could you know command a high wage you know anywhere in a pretty short period of time. So when you look back on your learning curve at that point, do you, do you feel like it was sort of equal amounts of developing the technical skills? And this quality of time taking, you know, you write a beautiful introduction to extraordinary vegan around oh, um, attention is the currency of love. Yeah, well, and that's, that's was, true. like when you were sitting there and, he, and you're like, you know, I've got to make this good meal. Did, did you did you feel like there was a a tension between sort of a, a a pushing and just sort of relaxing into that that meditative place of I'm going to put love into this? Well, um, there, I wouldn't say there was a tension. I mean, to me, uh, when you it, and it, it is not like real, real getting into a meditative state. It, I mean, there is kind of like that when you cook. Uh, it's not the same as you know sitting in, in, in a dark room with your eyes closed, you know, and, and, and going inside. That to me, that's that's a meditative state. But it's very similar in that your focus is—it's not tense. It's—it's—it's it's, it's awakened. 
and there's it's you where you're where you're paying attention to detail you're paying attention to what you're doing and you're trying to do your best so all of your focus is in the present and in that sense it's a it's a meditative experience and that produces superior food you know it, it it's not like uh i mean like people think of food made with love you know it's like uh this very loving person a lot of a lot of the food that's made that way is made by angry people. <laughs> you know, restaurants. Uh, I don't know if people have this. Uh, you know, they eat in the dining room and it's all very pleasant and there's a soft music and everything is the attention to detail is great and everything is, you know. But in the back, it's there's a reason why they call the you know in the French system the the brigade. You know, the the brigade. It's it's run like like the military. You know, and it's it's a war zone back there. It's 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 you know in in the in the very very well run restaurants. I mean, the, and there are there are few. Uh, everything is organized. It's impeccably clean. You know, it's it, and and they have it down to a to a system, and it's a very you know finely honed system so that things are not out of place and people aren't freaking out. But it does happen. But most restaurants, it, it's not that well organized, and things are a mess, and, it, and it's and it's crazy. But they manage somehow to create fine food because of because of focus, because they, because the chef is demanding, and the chef is is the one who's in control. And he'll say, you know, often he'll t- taste every single sauce, everything, make sure that everything is perfect, and then you have fine food coming out of the dining room, and it's all because of attention you know paying attention to detail paying attention making sure that it's exactly right that things are cut properly that things are cooked properly and and they're presented you know artfully and that's how it happens i mean it's it's not necessarily you know lo- you know <laughs> it, does, it doesn't look like love <laughs> it doesn't look like love no but love is is something it love is energy and it and it's it's uh it's something that flows from a human being and inside of a human being and whatever you know the, you know the, the was from i mean i'm not religious any but there was a saying in the bible where your heart, where your treasure is there will your heart be also you know and and if you value something to that level where you want it to be absolutely perfect and you know it never will be but you have to get as close as you possibly can then your your energy is directed in that in that way and it and it creates it creates a beautiful product it creates something that you feel you know proud of that people appreciate they're willing to travel long distances and pay high sums to eat there you know that kind of thing and on on a on a on in in a in a home situation you can even do better than that because it's not a war zone you don't have you know 200 people to feed you have four or six you know or maybe even two or one and so all of that focus can go into just one dish and one or one meal and you can make it really good <laughs> it's, and 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 if if i mean because that's the thing about a private chef is you're not you don't have to create tons of food really fast uh and you don't have an army of people it's just you or maybe you and a helper um uh, so you have you have the ability to make something exceptional. Mm-hmm. That's it. 
there there was a time when my family and I used to like watching some some of the cooking shows and you know the most entertaining ones generally have a lot of drama in them um, mm-hmm. you know Gordon Ramsay or um, Al, um Yeah yeah like I really want to eat something it was made by somebody who was so angry Yeah well that's <laughs> what I was thinking you know or the or, or you know Anthony Bourdain's um tell-alls of, yeah, of, of yeah. what goes on in the kitchen and it occurred to me like what a privilege it is to cook rice and beans, you know, with a little salsa on top and some greens on the side for my family as opposed to take them to a place where, you know, God knows what kind of negativity. Um, oh, there is plenty of negativity in the back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you got and you got people who are, especially in America, I mean, there's some, some places where, uh, people make more money in the kitchen or have either either they make more money or they have um, somewhere to get by being there you know what I mean like 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 apprentices they get paid nothing mm-hmm. and they do nothing all day but wash dishes or peel potatoes or you know very menial tasks but they have somewhere to get by doing that it's not they're not stuck there their whole life that that is the that is the, the 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 proving ground where they where the chef can you know they're, they're basically taking advantage of this free labor, but someone who is willing to do it for free, it shows that they want to they value that the the the, the experience they're going to get in that kitchen, and they will advance, and then they'll get to a point where the chef says you know you you basically learned everything you can from me and you want time for you to go to be a stagiaire somewhere at, at another restaurant. And then they move up and they move up and pretty soon they have their own restaurant. So, or not pretty soon, eventually. And that's different in, in, uh, in, in restaurants here and in, and in low class restaurants. There is no advancement or there is minimal advancement. Uh, you can become the chef, but of a, you know, not, not a very impressive restaurant. So you, and your, and your pay will never increase that much. Like, whereas, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, what, what, I guess one, one of the things that would make a great chef is the ability to, in the midst of all the maelstrom, to look at three different people who are peeling potatoes and seeing the person who's doing it in a humble way, you know, who so who has the right stuff. Yeah, well, that, I mean, I think that I, the way this, the way that it was it was designed was pretty brutal. Uh, I mean, it wasn't so much who was the who was the one with with the talent. It was one who was the one with the with the drive that would that would go through it and stay with it long enough to to work his way up the ladder. And it was that determination, and coupled with the fact that that a, a great chef would be very demanding in terms of quality. So not only are they willing to go through the 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 hours and hours and hours of mind numbing repetition, but they also would would be willing and 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 capable of learning how to do things exactly right, so that by the time they got up to you know actual anything like like cooking, <laughs> by the time they got to the point where someone would actually let them near the stove, they were very disciplined and very sincere and and inspired to do it. They wanted they wanted they were sincere to learn and then. By the time they got to actual, you know, being, you know, a, a sous chef, they could run the whole restaurant. They they could they could run the the kitchen, and uh, that's 
it, it's perseverance more than anything else. Mm. Yeah. And, and if, you know, and if, and if you, you're sincere and, and you persevere, but you just don't have the knack, I mean, it's just not in you to do it, you would eventually just leave. You, 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 would, you wouldn't even have to be fired. You would eventually just kind of go, ah, you know, this isn't worth it. I think I should go become a plumber or something. <laughs> and these were trades that, that, I mean, this is the old tradition, you know, of, 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 lear- of becoming an apprentice to any, any uh, you know, professional to learn the trade. In the kitchen, it just happens to be, you know, that you've got, you're part of an army. You're part of a, of a, of a vast number of people that are that cranking out this fine food. And it's not in every restaurant that's like that. I mean, most most restaurants are very small and 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 they don't have anywhere near the the level of of requirements that that fine restaurants have. Right. So uh, uh, I'm thinking to myself that all that this um, entire part of the interview was kind of a setup for what what happened next you're you're at the top of your profession you're cooking for millionaires and billionaires the, the mm-hmm. one person we see publicly on your uh website is uh bill clinton thanking you for for a meal that you you cooked for yeah him. well i figure i figure he's open season because he's he's a politician yeah. they want to be they want to be seen yeah Right. So, and, and at this point, and, and I've, I've interviewed a lot of people who've switched to a plant-based way of eating, and most of them, it was either some sort of ethical epiphany around animals, or they got really, really sick. Mm-hmm. For, for you, sort of at the top of your profession, and you mentioned earlier in this, in our, in our chat that, you know, the, the meal that you were thinking of in this particular case was not a vegan meal. Um, you know, you're, I'm sure, cooking all sorts of Cordon Bleu stuff. What happened that that got you um, to begin to shift? Well, you know, it was sudden. I, um, I, I, I had kind of stepped back from, from doing uh, the daily grind. <laughs> I, I, I moved to uh, Colorado. I was, you got to kind of got to live near millionaires to, to make a living at it because they're changeable. So you, you, <laughs> you know, you, you be, could have an eight month job and then they go, Oh, you know, let's try that little Vietnamese girl. She seems like she's got something interesting. And then you'd be out of a job and you'd have to, you know, go scramble and find another one. And, and you can be out of a job trying to, you know, cater parties and everything while you look for a new one for, for a year before you find another one. And then you could have that one for three years, and then uh, that one could end. You know, it's uh, it's a changeable business. So anyway, I moved to my wife and I moved to Colorado, and I was I had uh, been kind of toying with being a writer, and a friend of mine got me to write Omega Three Cuisine. It was mostly uh, he he has has a product. He has a has a very high quality oil. Uh, mostly from flax that provides omega three and omega six in a very very high quality, and he wanted he 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 wanted to kind of take it to another level, and he said uh, you know if you, uh, what I need is recipes, and he didn't know I was a cook, and when I met him, and and I said well I can help you with that, and he said really, and so he sent me a case of the oil and said you know start coming up with some recipes, maybe we'll do a book, and we did. And he had written a book called Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill, which sold you know well over two hundred thousand copies. So he had a track record. And uh, this publisher bought the rights to his book and wanted to meet him. And he said, okay. So he called me up and said, can you bring a mock-up of you know a book you know with your recipes? Uh, and because I'm, I'm going to meet my new publisher, and you know maybe we can just kind of like slide right in. And I said, okay. 
And I had everything. I mean, I had used, because <clears throat> I was eating everything. I mean, I had oxtails and shrimp and lobster and rabbit and everything else in there, anything you could put this oil on. And uh, so I brought, and I had pictures, and so he introduced me to the publisher, and I was, I was talking to him, and, and I said, he said, he's got this book. So he he starts fanning through the mock-up that I'd done. I went to Kinko's and bound it, you know. Uh, and, he, of course, the most prominent pictures were shrimp and fish and rabbit and all this stuff. And he goes, well, we're a vegan vegetarian publisher, and we can't publish anything with, you know, these kinds of animal products in it. And I said, well, I'll just take those out because I had like 365 recipes. And and he looked at me. He was kind of surprised because I guess publishers don't hear this from authors very often. And he said, you would do that? And I said, sure. <laughs> so, so we had a handshake right there, and he says, okay. So I, I at, the, at that point, I, uh, you know, I, I, did, I wasn't changing my diet. I was just like I always did with my, you know, millionaire clients. I was changing my presentation to suit the the needs of the client i said okay well so i i we, we had to trim it down anyway to meet a nice price point and uh so so there was I there was it. nothing in you that was a little bit you know outraged or uh outraged know, or or or, or, or outraged to be published <laughs> or, or just just that somebody was going to I take was it. delighted. <laughs> no, I mean this is something that uh, and, and I you know because I've always this is you know private is is the operative word but the other operative word is flexible. You cannot you cannot dig in your heels with a millionaire. You know, cuz they'll fire you. Hmm. They you know they well, they want what they want and your job is to give them what they want. And you and, and if you want to be you know, it wants some longevity. You want to give them what they want in a way that absolutely thrills their palate, that they, you know, knocks their socks off. They go, wow, that's great. And as long as you can do that, they're happy. And as long as they're happy, you're happy. So I was used to it. I mean, to me, and and, pe- and, and the people I worked for would, would, you know, today we're on the Atkins diet. Oh, great. You know, all the sour cream and bacon bits you could eat diet. That'll work. But it wasn't my job to tell them they were absolutely nuts. It was my job to take whatever idiotic diet they were on, whatever fad diet they were on that week or that month or that you know six month period, and just make something good. You know, it was, so, so did you I wasn't. Have, go ahead. Did, did you have opinions? Even you know, even, even if you kept them to yourself, <laughs> I am. I'm one of the most opinionated people you'll ever meet. Yeah, of course I did. But it, I keep I keep my opinions, you know, mostly to myself. Sometimes with the other members of the staff, we would kind of chuckle at how idiotic the diet our client was on um i mean had, yeah. had you been sort of developing a sense with through your experience with all these different fad diets of what was sort of a good way to to eat um uh, well you know what it's, it's oddly enough before i actually um started cooking for a living i i went through a whole bunch of fad diets of my own mostly you know in the early 70s that you know i was in i went through a macrobiotic period and of course i was i was vegetarian for seven years because it was hip you know it was a thing um uh there were you know i, I went through a various you know the all raw all cooked you know all the other things you, you you try um so i yeah i had i had an idea for myself but i was young and and you 
you know, when you're young, you can you can get away with a lot. That as as you get older, it's it suddenly you, it becomes very obvious what works and what doesn't, you know. Or you you start paying attention, and then you realize, okay, you know that that it doesn't really go down that well, you know. It does it or or it doesn't go all the way through very well. You know, it's, there's some things that just work better than others. Um, so, yeah, for myself. And I, you know, a lot of times when I when I speak, I say, you know, or to do a cooking demonstration, you know, like I, I make it clear, I'm not a health expert, I'm not a nutritionist, I'm becoming a health expert regarding my own health, what works for me, and I highly recommend that everybody do that for themselves, because what works for me may not work for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it came when it came to uh, being vegan, what happened was after that first book, Omega Three Cuisine, sold 11,000 copies, my publisher was ecstatic. It's like wow, because five thousand is considered successful. That's when it goes to second printing, and that's when, you know, they start really making. They've it's like the what is it, Black Friday or whatever it is. You know, that's yeah, when they that's start when making they go money. Into the black. Yeah, that yeah. You did, most people don't know this, but ten percent of all the books, not cookbooks, but books, period, that are published actually make money, and that's where publishers make all their money. It the, the most of them. It's and it's a crapshoot in a lot of ways. I mean, even experienced publishers don't know for sure which ones will sell and which ones won't. A lot of times, most mostly, it's it. And, and nowadays, you know, they don't even want to. The publishers don't even want to know if you have a good book or not. They want to know how many friends you have on Facebook and how, you know what you're going to do to promote it, because that's that's what sells the book. It's not the book. <laughs> it's how well you you know you promote it, how good you are at at, at, at making it sell. So anyway, I mean, I after after this one was doing so well, and he was so excited, I I thought, well, you know, strike while the iron is hot, and I said, give me another project, Tell, you know, what other, you know, what's lacking in your catalog, and I'll 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 write it, and he said, well, okay, so he he sat with his team, and then he said uh, he said, okay, vegan quick, I said, what? Because I was eating everything, and he said, vegan recipes you can make in thirty minutes or less, I said, okay. So I, you know, I started. Okay, I, I had a vague idea that you know, about what vegan food was. It's like no animal product. Because there was a, uh, there was one, uh, a residence manager at one where I worked for this one movie star, and he was vegan. So I, whenever I made food for the staff, I would had to make sure, that, and it was like challenging because I was used to just throwing butter and things, you know, whatever, and he he wouldn't eat any of it. So I had, I was aware, uh, and I knew that they, they wouldn't even eat honey, and I thought that was nuts, and you know. Like, well, how, how does it hurt the bee? I mean, you just take a little of their honey. I mean, geez, you know, come on. So anyway, I, I I studied up, and you know, my 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 role has never been to question the diet of the person. It's been to create something within the diet. So I just made a book called Speed Vegan, and I you know, my I figured if I could set the clock to 30 minutes, and then come up with something, create something, invent something, and write it down and make it in a 30 minute period, then I figured most people with their skill level could do it just by making the recipe in 30 minutes. And it turns out it worked. Um, so then that one, uh, you know, I, I wrote it, and, and then there was a thing where I, in, in the introduction, because I, I, I wanted to make food that my clients would like, e- even though it was vegan. And, I, and so in the introduction, I had written something saying that these recipes should please everyone because they were, written, they were created for an omnivore's palate, mine. And they just happened to be vegan. 
And and my editor said, you, you, know, <laughs> you may not know this, but vegans are evangelical creatures, and they they like they would like to spread this. And they're not going to take kindly to the fact that you just say they just happen to be vegan like it was some kind of afterthought. They, they're going to want a little more support than that. And by the way, vegans are probably going to be mostly the people who are going to buy your book. So maybe you'd like to rewrite that. I thought, okay, fair enough. And I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to go out and promote this book, what kind of a hypocrite would I be if I didn't even even at least try it? And by try it, I don't mean like just a recipe. I mean like try eating that way. And so this was on my mind. And then I went to my doctor, and he uh, he my my cholesterol had just been climbing, climbing, climbing. I mean, if I had stock like that, it would be so exciting because it didn't even dip. It just was just on an <laughs> upward track. And uh, he said, we're going to have to, he's, you know, and I was I was getting lots of exercise, hiking, biking, practicing martial arts. And, I, and I, whenever I ate any animal products, I always make sure it was organic and you know, all the grass fed of this and, the, you know, all that. And, uh, but it wasn't, you know, I, I was just, because I was eating everything, you know, and if foie gras came across, you know, I would definitely go for it because it's, it's one of the most delicious things, you know, and and of course, working working for millionaires, you get to have your fill of anything that would be considered off off the charts for for the average person, like caviar and you know all that stuff, two thousand dollars a pound or whatever it is now kilo. Um, so he said we're going to have to put you on statins. And I said, who's we? <laughs> Excuse me? Read me the side effects, you know. And uh, he said, well, and he, you know, I was, I was clear I wasn't going to take them. And he said, well, what are you going to do? And he was like, in my face. And and, uh, and it, at that point, it just kind of all clicked. I'd read that book, Eating Animals, by Jonathan Safran Foer. Um, and I told him, and there, there, I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go on a strict vegan diet. And I'm going to train and, and run the Pikes Peak Ascent, which is this race that, that they have right near where I live. It starts at 6,000 feet. They fire the gun, and then everybody runs to the top of Pikes Peak, which is 14,115 feet. It's a half marathon, but there's 8,000 vertical gain, uh, 8,000 feet. And he looked at me. Had, had he you said, done this race before? Never. I had never run. I've never been a runner. Run, running bores me to death. I mean, it's like, come on. This is repetitive. Uh, I could do martial arts all day long. It's so fun, you know. But but running was like boring. But but my brother-in-law, he lives in the same town, and he 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 had been bugging me. He said, "You can do it." You know, it doesn't take. It's mostly just you know perseverance. It's really, and you don't run the whole way. You kind of power walk most of it because you're going up. You know, especially when you get above tree line and it starts to get air gets thin. You know, um, but I was it was just an idea I had. It was like it, 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 you just click click click, and I said, "Tell you what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do." And he he. You know, how many times does the doctor hear I'm going on a diet? It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? So he said, well, we could see if that works. And, you know, real, real condescending. And I said, well, you don't know me very well, but but uh, I'm the kind of person that when I decide I'm going to do something, I do it, and that's it. Uh, this morning I had eggs and bacon, and that's it. I'm not having it again. I'm going to go on a strict vegan diet. And uh, I'd already written the book, so, I mean, I knew I could make the food. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be, like, deprived of good food. It would just be different food. And he said, well, okay, I'll have you come back in three months. We'll test your blood again and see if it's doing anything at all. And I said, okay. So I came back in three months. It had gone from 289 to 208. 
And uh, at six months, I was at Summerfest, and Dr. Greger was there, and I met him, and he did his little quick blood test, and it was at 1.30. Not only that, but I felt fantastic. I mean, it, it was after just after like three days. My sinuses, I live, you know, Colorado is very dry. So whatever's going on in your sinuses when you go to bed in the morning, it's like come to a complete standstill. <laughs> it's so dry. And I used to have to flush my sinuses out with the neti pot so I could breathe. And I have never needed it since. And I, I, had, I had this like kind of low-level brain fog kind of, and it just completely lifted like within two, three days. And I felt, you know, I used to say I, feel, I felt, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 60, it felt like I did when I was 40. And I, I, I was thinking about it. I actually, I feel a whole lot better than I did when I was 40. I feel more light. I feel more energy. I feel I feel I feel fantastic. And uh, when you're 60, that means a lot to you. Let me tell you, it's uh, something that you you know most people figure, oh well, I'm screwed. I'm I'm, I'm old, and I'm and you know this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life, and it's just going to get worse and worse, and then I'll die. You know, my mother has a saying: getting old is for the birds. You know? <laughs> And I, I have no fear. I mean, I know it's there. There is, you know, you you are going to have less energy as you get to the, you know, if you're lucky enough to get old enough. But I don't have any trepidation about getting older. I'm 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 enjoying my life, and that's the name of the game. I mean, because the whole purpose of life is is joy, is to enjoy it, is to appreciate it to the point where you feel grateful. You know. Not grateful in a in an academic sense, like well, you know, say thank you, you know, but but where you feel it from your core. Wow, this is I mean, this is more than I could deserve. You know, this is great, mm. and it's it's an automatic kind of gratitude. You know, where you where you're gratified and you and you just feel really good about it. So when I was thinking about Speed Vegan, which is mm-hmm. the you know the the book where that made you sort of vegan via editor. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, I was I was thinking that the compromise would be around vegan, around leaving out all the animal foods. But it's occurring to me now that was there a compromise around the idea of speed? Because you were talking about, you know, the the Mexican cooks in the kitchen and, and doing things right and taking the time. And I know you've just been you've been posting on Facebook about um, the lifestyle in Denmark versus the United States about mm-hmm. taking it slow. Is was there something about thirty minutes or less that bothered you at all? Or it didn't bother. You... No, it didn't bother me. Um, I just knew there were certain things that were just out of the question. Things that can only be made uh, by slow cooking, or you know that kind. Of, and it, but it didn't bother me. I mean, to me, it was it was just like it was with my clients. I mean, if they say you know we want this, I would do whatever it took to make that. And if and if and if I'm hungry and I want something like in ten minutes, if that, those are the perimeters, I would you know try to think of something really quick that I could make. You know. Uh, some things just don't make the cut. I mean, in speed vegan, I couldn't make beans from scratch because that takes too long, you know. So I introduced canned beans, and I would say, you know, get get a can of organic, you know, BPA-free can of, you know, and there were there are they exist. Uh, and my my standard for 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 processed food is if nothing has been done to the food that I wouldn't have done if I'd had the time, the money, and the equipment, then it's an acceptable shortcut, you know. If They've 
added things that I would never add or done things to it that I would never do, then, you know, to me, that's just not acceptable. You know, so it's not a question of how long it takes. It's a question of, okay, what, what, what can I make that would only, that the average person could do in 30 minutes? That's all. And it was, it, it was a stretch because my approach to food has always been, what is the end result I want? Okay, how long will it take? Okay, then I have to start at this time if I want to get it done. You know, to, to not not to try to jam it into a box, but to like see, okay, how plan it out. You know, and then and, and there's and the timing is everything. But so if you're making more than one thing, you have to make sure that if this one takes 30 minutes and this one takes 45 minutes, well, you start with the 45 minute one, and then 15 minutes, and you start the other one. You know, you it's a concert. You have to make it all happen at the same time. So for me, it was just it was actually pretty easy because. All my recipes only took half an hour, you know. And there were some that didn't make the cut because it just took too long. And I thought, okay, well, you know, if it takes me this long, the average person is probably going to take them an hour, and that's not going to work. So a bunch of them I just save for for another cookbook, which Extraordinary Vegan is one of those. I mean, a, a classic one in in uh, that immediately came to mind when I was saying this. Uh, in Extraordinary Vegan, I have a, a a pepper dish called Peperonata, which is it's very simple. It's basically just roasted peppers, and you, you saute some onions and garlic, and then you add the peppers, and then you add some tomato, and and then you cook it for a really long time at a very low temperature, and it just becomes this yielding, spicy, unctuous, just delicious kind of thing. You can eat it like with a spoon, or you can put it on polenta, or you can mix it with pasta, or you can you know as, as a side dish. And it's it, it's a dish that takes like three or four hours. You're not you're not actually doing something that whole time. Sometimes it, you're just checking on it, stirring it, to make sure it's not sticking. But it takes a long time to do it right. Mm-hmm. And you could be making a bunch of other things while it's cooking. But you know you can't do it. It's thirty minutes. It's not going to happen. And, and you could try to you know you could make a version of it, but it will not have anywhere near the 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 thrill to the palate that that doing it right would would have. You know? I'm, I'm looking at the recipe now. It's on page 32 and 33 of Extraordinary Vegan, and mm. I la- I'm laughing because it says makes 10 cups and it'll keep for two weeks. Like I can't imagine making a sauce of 10 cups that you know that I'd have to eat in two weeks. But uh, you write like, uh, yeah, you'll be so sorry when it's gone. <laughs> 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 no, I mean that's it's yeah. Well, that's when you're going to make something that's that takes that much. You know, why not why not make enough that it's worth it's worth the effort. You know, because you, you can. It's one of those things that when you start eating it, you could almost eat the cups. <laughs> it's really good. And then yeah, there's another example is is the. Uh, um, uh, what is it? Romesco sauce. It's also an extraordinary vegan. That's another one that, you know, you could probably make it a lot quicker if you made less. But if you're going to make the effort, uh, make more. Because it's another thing that's just really delicious. It's, it's basically, it's another one with roasted peppers. And, but it has roasted, roasted and peeled hazelnuts. And, uh, it's spicy and it's creamy because you had some, some, uh, olive oil and it's i mean it's just one of those things that you put it in your mouth your whole body goes ooh <laughs> and that's to me that's 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 my goal with food period is something that you put in your mouth and your whole body just 
it's not just the palate because when I was starting out, you know, I was there, I was out to impress, you know, and I, and I wanted to learn all the fancy techniques and make all the, the fancy kind of stuff. And it was, it was a learning curve because you, you don't start out an architect, you know, you start out learning, you know, math, you know? Mm. So, but what I've come to, you know, I realize is that sometimes the best thing you can do to food is as little as possible. You know, if you, if you get the right ingredients, really fresh, really good ingredients, you, you almost have to do nothing to it. But the other thing is, I was all about the mouth when I because mostly the people I worked for were totally unconscious about their health. They they would try diets, but they really what they really wanted was to have a good time. And they wanted butter and cream, and they 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 would say, you know, make it make it light, you know. <laughs> so I would whip air into it. It was very light, but it was still cream and butter, right? Uh, and and then they weren't really conscious of their health. Most of them, they just wanted it to taste good. They wanted to, to have their palate thrilled, so I could do that. And it's actually, actually not very hard to do that. Put some fat in it, and it's going to taste great. Mm-hmm. But then I realized, you know, actually I want to go the distance. I don't want to just enjoy the first part of my life, you know, and then and pay for it the rest of my life. I want to enjoy the whole thing. So I started thinking more about my health. And it turns out that really there is no trade-off. You can you can make food that thrills your palate that does your body good. It's not really that hard. You have you have to you have to learn a few things about what's good and what's not. But food I mean, there are two, basically two schools of thought. One is there's a wise and kind creator that made us exactly the way we are about 6,000 years ago, and, and here we are. And we have taste buds for a reason. And the reason is so we can enjoy our food, to make it, to make it a beautiful experience. And every single thing that we absolutely need for survival is enjoyable. You know, it's, it's, it, that's, this is what leads us to do it. It's, 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 it feels good to do it. So, obviously... Healthy food, because health is part of enjoyment, can be just as enjoyable, it's done right, as unhealthy food. And it's just a question of learning what works and what doesn't, and then feeding it really, really enjoyable food. Very simple. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've felt like, you know, we used to go out to places like, you know, Olive Garden or local Italian restaurants, and it was very, very sort of tasty, much tastier than what I would cook at home. And it only came to me, you know, when I got the food home, put the leftovers, put it in the fridge, and then looked at it the next day to see, like, what the sauce looked like after a night in the fridge. <laughs> that, you know, the, what they were really selling was a seduction. They didn't have skill. They weren't using high-quality ingredients, but it was just huge amounts of butter and yeah, salt yeah. and sugar. Yeah. And it sounds like you at some point decided that, you weren't going to resort to, to kind of those seductive gimmicks, but you were going to. Oh, I'm all into seduction, but but you can you can seduce people. You can by, I mean, you could you could be uh, you know in terms of seduction. I mean, you could be sincere, or you could be insincere. You know, and the, and the seduction is the same. You know, the attracting the person with with things that that promise, you know, great pleasure. But you can do it either with things that, when they eat them, do them good, or you can do it with things that, when they eat them, do them harm. And, and, and to me, 
it does it does you no good to poison your clients. You know? It's <laughs> another another way to lose a job. Yeah, yeah, you lose the client. And by the way, Frank Sinatra was alive when I left. Okay, so I don't want to hear anything about that. Uh, yeah, he's still breathing when I left. Yeah, so, no, it, you. To me, it, it's very easy to make crappy food. It really, I mean, it, it takes a lot of energy. It takes, it, you know, it's, it's hard work. But it, it, you could make food, like, you know, if you want to make something tasty, fry it, you know. Fried food is tasty. It's crisp. It's full of fat. And you put salt on it. And what's not to love, right? Right. But if you eat that food every day, you will develop plaque in your arteries. And you will eventually have a stroke or a heart attack. (laughs) This is is not uh, a stretch to understand because bad fats, which is what they fry food in, refined oils, cause lesions in the arteries. They they actually cause damage. And when it's damaged, the body immediately, without you even knowing it, is busy at work. It's a construction site. And they go, oops, a hole. Let's patch it. And what what the body uses to patch the hole is cholesterol and then another one happens and another one happens and it keeps patching and patching and patching and eventually there's not there's more patch than than conduit and the blood can't get through and that's when you have a problem if you if you choose the right fat and you don't damage it in the processing of your own processing you don't get that that's actually you know it's, it's very simple so just find a way and it's not that hard. Find a way to make food that is that starts out healthy. I mean, you know, like organic or, or you know, food that is good, no pesticides. And then you prepare it in a way that doesn't damage it, where it'll if you damage it, it'll damage you basically. If you find a way to cook it in a way that doesn't make it toxic or make it harmful, it's a win-win. You know, you, you, you get your palate is thrilled because it's a question of just doing it right, you know, figuring it out, adding things that create layers of flavor, you know. So you're eating it and you go, mmm, oh, and there's that cardamom thing in there. Oh, and then you got this thing happening. Mmm, that's delicious. And you're enjoying it and it's good for you. It, it, it produces health, you know. It, it, it sustains a, a, a good feeling. And it's really not that hard. So let's let's talk a little bit about some of the ingredients that <clears throat> that you use and recommend. There are many that I had never come across before, and there's you know there's lots of vegan cookbooks that are for for newbies with just sort of you know basic rice and beans or a mm-hmm. tortilla or something. But this mm-hmm. you know this the name extraordinary vegan and also in speed vegan, there are a bunch of ingredients that aren't particularly expensive. They're not particularly hard to find. They're just not on our radar. And, and you know, my, my favorite recipe—I haven't cooked nearly all of them in the in Extraordinary Vegan, but my favorite one so far is the ziti with broccoli rabe and mm. cannellini beans. Mm-hmm. And I now have um, about eight feet of broccoli rabe growing in my garden. <laughs> Lucky and, you! And I have uh, an addiction to uh, Aleppo pepper, which I didn't know what it was before. Can you talk about? you know, sort of special ingredients that aren't particularly expensive or really exotic that you use to give those cascading flavors and to, and to make food extraordinary? 
Well, that's that. It's interesting, you know. If you you mentioned that, you know, the, that you'd never heard of, I'm I've been cooking for over thirty years, and I'm still coming across vegetables and spices and and ingredients that I had never seen before. It, it, there's a vast, vast world of plant-based food. There's a limited number of animal foods, but there's a there's an endless, endless supply of really, really exotic, unusual uh, foods and spices and herbs and, and vegetables and fruits and, and grains that, you know, you if you have a limited palate in the, in, in, you know, P-A-L-E-T-T-E, you know, the, the, pal- the artist's palate, uh, you can still create something beautiful. But if you have a wide palate, I mean, where you where you have all kinds of different things to work with, then your food can be truly extraordinary because, you know, you, people eating it will go, what the hell is this? <laughs> this what's that? What's that kind of, you know, the, the, they, they have a hard time describing it because they've never encountered it before. And it's not really that hard. Just go visit some uh, ethnic shops, like an Indian market or a or a Middle Eastern market, or I mean, even some European markets. That there's there's stuff that you may not have had before. Although European markets are almost entirely animal based, um, but there, it's not it's not uh, it's not difficult. It's it's a question of being a little bit little adventurous. And doing a little research, you know, in, in terms of not not like so much reading books as as, as going and just trying things. Um, there's for, happily, I, I could say that there are now a lot of uh, stores that that are that are carrying unusual stuff. Aleppo pepper used to be like what, and now it's it's you can you can find it not with 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 not much difficulty. There's a uh, my favorite actually comes from a, a store. It's a it's a franchise. It's called. Uh, savory spice shop and there are several in Colorado and uh, you, you could just go to savoryspiceshop.com and they have they have Aleppo pepper and it's really really fresh it's 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 moist like a lot a lot of times you know when you grind spices they, they're very dry but this one is a it's it's a just to give an example I mean you mentioned it uh, Aleppo is of course a city that in in uh, northern Syria which unfortunately is now being destroyed but uh, there's a there's a pepper that grows in that region and on the Turkish side of the border as well, uh, and they call it Aleppo pepper because it, it was widely used in Aleppo, and it's uh, it's not as hot as it is flavorful. It, it provides a, a, a unique flavor, and if you if you smell it, it's kind of reminiscent of sun-dried tomatoes. It's got this beautiful depth, and it is spicy, but it's it, it's not as spicy as like, for example, cayenne, which is very spicy, um, very low on the Scoville units uh, scale. And so you can you can add a ton of flavor and spice, but mostly flavor to a dish that you put it in. So it's it's a really useful tool because you can you can make something that that is spicy, but by the time you put enough in to make it hot, you've you've added a ton of flavor, and then you add other things so that it creates a whole dance that's going on in your mouth when you eat it. It's a it's something you just kind of have to start playing with and I and I feel like my you know my goal is I don't know if you if you've been to my website and if you if you uh happen to click on about and you happen to go I have I have a, I have a mission statement 
And there's three parts to it. And the first one, which to me is the most interesting, is, you know, that I want to make a significant positive impact on the way people view themselves as reflected through what they eat. And this came to me, you know, and it's because I realized that it says something about you, you know, what you eat, what you're willing to settle for, in a sense, you know, says something about you. And the question is, my, 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 it's none of my business what somebody else eats. None of my business. I'm, I'm not here to tell anyone what they should eat. I think each person has to discover for themselves what works and what doesn't. But I'll ask the question, you know, if are you the sort of person who will drive up to a little speaker <laughs> and when somebody says, what can I get for you, you, you order some third-class food made by teenagers who have no culinary training, no sense of health, sanitation, and safety, no, nothing. They're there they're because they're, they, they, have, they have, to, have to make some extra money. And it's, they're making food that the, the, the ingredients are of the lowest, cheapest quality, and then the cooking methods are the most damaging to the food and to your health. And then they take this and they wrap it up in a, in a paper, you know, wrap it and stick it in a bag and they hand it to you through a window and you give them money and then you drive down the road eating this greasy thing. What does that say about you? And are you okay with that? <laughs> because if nobody ever points it out, maybe it doesn't seem even that unnatural, you know? It's what everybody does, kind of. But what does it say about you? I mean, when you think about it, Human beings, and I said this to a vegan friend of mine who's, who's very active, you know, all of her posts are, are, you know, about veganism and cruelty to animals and this and that. And I said to her, I said, you know, human, we are the crown of creation. And she goes, well, I don't know about that. I said, I don't mean the crown is the king. I mean the crowning achievement. We are the animal that knows and knows that it knows. I mean, how amazing is that, you know? A lion doesn't have a choice. It has to chase down a gazelle or something and, and pounce on it and bite it and kill it and eat it. It cannot decide to go on a plant-based diet. You know, it cannot decide to, you know, it, it, has, it has to follow its instincts. We have the same instincts, you know, to eat, but we can, we can go, well, wait, is this benefiting me or not? Does this taste good or not? Is this high quality or not? And we can choose. So we owe it to ourselves, in my opinion, to seek out the highest quality thing we can, the, the best we can afford, the best we can find, and not just in terms of flavor, but in terms of benefit. So is it okay with you that you're, you, the, the, the crown of creation, is settling for something that some animals would not even eat, that cockroaches would even eat? Something that that you can put out on your desk for three years and it doesn't even degrade, you know, is that is that acceptable to the to to the crowning achievement of creation? I mean, if you don't believe in a creator, we evolved this way. So we are we have the we are the most evolved creature on Earth. So what should we be eating? You know, I'm not telling you what to eat. I'm asking the question. And is it good enough for you? And what does it say about you that you're willing to settle for less when you don't have to? And are you okay with that? And I think that that's, that's 
you know, and then there's, and then my other goals are I want to, I want to encourage and empower as many people as possible to cook and eat at home because I know, th- I know what goes on in a restaurant and it is not a health environment. And, and, and I, and I want to, you know, I, I want to, I want to inspire people to try it, you know, to try and, you know, we only, we only need five things. You only need air, water. I mean, those are basically taken care of to some degree. You know, we need we need shelter, we need security, we need warmth, we need you know, and for lack of a better word, we need love, we need meaning, we need connection, relationship. We need we need to feel good about ourselves, and we need to feel good, you know, in our relationship with other living things, and we need food. So, I mean, you know. A new pair of shoes is optional. Redecorating the whole house is optional. Getting a Ferrari is optional. But those five things, you cannot, they are not optional. So at least, if you can't afford all those other things, at least those five things, make sure that they're the best quality you can get your hands on. Right. Well, to me, it goes back to what you said you know, earlier about our, our taste buds and our desires. Um, you know, I, I was just talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and we, so we, we both grew up in a, uh, a sort of you know, mental environment where the idea that if it feels good, that probably means we shouldn't be doing it. And how many decades it took us to get to the place where we trusted our own desires. And <laughs> I, you make me laugh because, you know, what you said, when you said if, it did, if it's enjoyable, it must be. But that was my mother's attitude. She was very, you know, the kind of the Calvinist kind of thing. My father was an atheist. And to him, it was like, if it feels good, do it. Mm. And uh, I was kind of somewhere in the middle. But one thing that, you know, my mother, <laughs> I, never, I actually remember this. I, when I was a baby, it was one of my, it's one of my earliest memories. I had, my, I had this little pillow. Of course, in, in, in my world, it was a big pillow because I was, I was small. But it, was, it, was a, it, it was a satin pillow. And I remember it had these like like different colored. It was white with little, little different colored stripes, like like rainbow kind of stripes. And then my mother would put a flannel pillowcase on it because she thought that was nice for my face, you know, flannel. And every single time she would come in to check on me, I would have pulled off the flannel pillowcase and be lying with my face on the satin. And she knew, she said, "I knew I had a problem, child, from the very beginning, you know, because I was like a hedonist, you know." <laughs> And I remember it, but you'd, you'd lie on the satin and the satin would get hot, you know, because the satin is like, and so then I would turn the pillow over, the other side would be cool and satiny, you know. <laughs> I still remember this. And, uh, and that's the way, you know, to me, that is what, that's what has guided me my entire life. I have been a hedonist following pleasure. And in the Calvinist view, that's the road to perdition. <laughs> but... What it turned out for me is entirely the opposite, because there's a period of your life when you're young and, and your your cells are regenerating, you know, furiously, and you you know you everything is vibrant, and you you could basically eat anything and it wouldn't hurt you. Your 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 you, your body would just manage to deal with it. Over time, if you keep doing that, it starts to like run down. And then as you get older, it starts to do things a lot less prolifically, and then you actually start paying a price. So if you've got your head screwed on right, and if you're paying attention, you can go, oops, I can't get away with this shit anymore. And I can't, I can't keep doing this. So you start looking for, well, what do I have to do? 
I don't want to lose pleasure, you know, and I don't want to I don't want to pay a price for the pleasure I'm getting. I want to I want it all. So what do I have to eat? Oh, well, you know, maybe if you stop eating that, you won't feel like this. You know, maybe if you, maybe if you eat this, it'll actually you'll actually feel better. And then it's 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 different for each person. Some people can tolerate all raw. Some people, you know, they need a little bit of cooked food. <laughs> you, know? you, you 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 figure it out. It's a trial and error. It's a feel good, feel bad system. What feels what feels good, and not just in your mouth, but all the way down. And this is what I encourage people to do: pay attention not just to what you're eating, but how you feel after you eat, during your when you're eating, and long after you eat. Because that'll tell you whether it's working for you or not. Right. And, 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 but, I, and I love that reframing because for most people, the conversation in their heads is healthy or delicious. And the argument that people get into is, yeah, I know, I, you know, in their own heads is, yeah, I know it's not good for me, but I'm addicted to it. I can't give it up. And instead of engaging in that argument, you're, you're taking pleasure to the next level. Yeah, and saying I, you know, you're not getting. I don't think you're getting enough pleasure from you're me. You're not getting anywhere near enough pleasure. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be addicted to something that was not just tasty, but made you feel good. And and and, and I think a lot of people they either have no imagination or no experience with food like that. You know, they they don't they don't know, and they're and they're and a lot of people don't realize that their taste buds are actually have actually been dulled. So they're addicted to something that is on a very low level, uh, like like fried food, like fast food. I mean, it's I mean, even to me, you know, this is why I don't, I don't even open a bag of potato chips because it it's almost uncontrollable because <laughs> mm-hmm. it it does trigger the fat, salt, and sugar combination will 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 trigger the bliss point in the brain, and they did this on purpose. This is not something by accident. They actually studied this. I don't know if you've ever read a book called uh, The End of Overeating by David Kessler. I have. You, I have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what did they They ran experiments with mice, and they found this fat, salt, and sugar combination that would trigger that, that would keep them coming back and coming back and coming back second only to cocaine. You know? <laughs> they have us figured out. This, 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 you know, it may, it may be crappy food, but, but they figured out what will keep us eating it. And you can you can you can come up with a combination of your own that will that will trigger the bliss point in the brain without eating unhealthy food, and you can decide when you've had enough because the stuff they put in the food, especially high fructose corn syrup and things like that, it overrides your your uh, your uh, what is it the leptin. You know, the leptin is the hormone. There's ghrelin, which makes you hungry, which tells you that you're hungry. It's a hormone. And then there's leptin, which tells you you've had enough. If you're eating their food, you know, that, that, that industry food, the leptin is not getting triggered. It's being overridden. So you can just eat meat, 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 meat. Oh, I can't get enough of this stuff. This is so good. Oh, yeah, this is so good. Oh, and you're just eating and eating and eating, and you don't stop. Whereas if you eat something that's really natural and really prepared in a really, you know, conscious way, you get the same pleasure or more, but you finally, you know, you're, you're not messing with the leptin, so you, when you had enough, you've had enough. You don't have to keep eating it. You, you know, you can get up from the table and go, out, go about your business, do something else. 
Well, and that's, that's uh, yeah. Go ahead. That's why it's. I think it's so important. Your your third part of your mission statement is to empower people to cook and eat at home. That's we, right. You know, I mean, not not just um, that we're you know eating out too much, but that we we've really outsourced the responsibility f- for our well being to people who who simply have a profit motive. And, You're right. They and, really don't care. Because there, you know, there's one born every minute, and if you get too sick to eat their food, there, there's a whole line of people behind you coming to eat it. <laughs> right, and then they'll, they'll then they'll pass you on to their friends at Big Pharma. Exactly. To, to continue exactly. continue to pump pump things into you. Yeah, and I, it, it, to me, it's like, you know, they, they talk about animal rights. You know, to me, it's human rights. Hmm. You, you know, one one human right we don't actually have is the right to kill and eat another animal. We could do it, and there's nobody stopping us. There's no law against it. But we don't actually have the right. So that's that's, well, that's one way of approaching it. We, a human being doesn't really actually have that right. And what we do have a right to do is to enjoy our life. We have a right to be healthy. We have a right to be happy. We have a right to eat well this is something we actually do have a right to do. So we need to exercise it. Instead of just going to the lowest common denominator and saying, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too dumb to figure this out, so you do it for me. Or I'm too lazy, so you do it for me. And it would be one thing if the person doing it for you cared about you. You know, if it was something that they, they, they needed you to be healthy, they needed you to be happy, that all they need is for you to go, okay, that's my food. <laughs> so it's, it's it, you know, it, it's not the best, but, hey, it's, it's easy. You know, I'll microwave it. It destroys the food, and it actually probably causes more problems than I can imagine, but it's easy. And you look around, and people people who settle for less than their birthright are not typically happy people. They're they're not terribly unhappy. It's like people on 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 antidepressants. You know, it's like they they're not on they're not they're not depressed, but they're not really having a good time either. It's just, it's kind of there. And you know, one one wonderful thing that happened to me when I turned sixty is something that I've known all my life and even said suddenly became real. Life is short. There's <laughs> mm. very it's you know. If you live to be a hundred, you know how many days that is? That's thirty six thousand five hundred days. If you had thirty six thousand five hundred dollars, you wouldn't retire. You'd keep working. <laughs> it just isn't enough. And when you think about it, what's the purpose of being here? Why am I even alive in the first place? And the whole purpose of it, the best I can figure out, is joy. Is to enjoy it. Is to is to is to be that one creature that doesn't just go after food, warmth, you know, shelter, that kind of thing, but actually can can look at a sunset or a sunrise or or, or obscene in nature or or a beautiful woman or whatever, and just go, wow, look at that, is that amazing or what? To appreciate, you know, we have that faculty of appreciation that that thrills you all through you and i think i believe that every single thing that we put our energy into that we invest our money in 
that we that we put our time in should give us massive returns in the appreciation factor you know you should it should be even if you have a you know a very spare room the furniture should be something that's comfortable and beautiful to look at you know cuz we can you know <laughs> It's it's this is meant for us if you put it that way you know this this is what this is what we we excel at enjoyment and when we're not getting that there's something it just doesn't feel right our senses become dulled we get bored we get depressed we become spiteful <laughs> all that stuff and and when you're enjoying your life you don't hurt anybody you don't want to hurt anybody you want to treat people to the same thing you're having. It's just natural, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Somehow, this reminds me of a of a story I read once from the the Hasidic Jewish tradition of the king and chief advisor who discover that there's a a a plague spreading through the kingdom and it makes people insane, but they don't know that they're insane and. The king and the advisor realize they're they're going to get it too. It's it's not sparing anyone. So they decide to put like little signs on their forehead that once they're insane, that the, at least it will remind them. So maybe that they'll know. Uh-huh. It's like we're you know we're living in this in this world in which insanity is really looks the same as common sense. The norm, right? The, the norm. I just saw something on Facebook where some, um, Edward Abbey was quoted as saying, you know. Uh, polit- to politicians, being practical just means to hell with the children. You know, just just in in, in every respect, yeah. I feel like the things that should be just sort of common sense are are hidden away in in, in fringe pockets. Yeah. Well, the interesting the interesting thing about it, though, um, common sense is is tricky. <laughs> but the interesting thing about wisdom, which is the source of common sense is that every human being has wisdom in them it's 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 in our makeup it's 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 in the heart and we know and we, the reason i can say this is that if you were not wise inherently you may not be aware of it but if you did not have inherently in in your in your nature wisdom you, when somebody says something wise you wouldn't recognize it as wise it would be like, huh? You know? But the fact that, the fact that, you know, all these, you know, what do you call them, the, the, the proverbs and stuff, the reason people is because they make sense. They're, it touches something inside of you. It's not in your mind, it's, it's actually in your heart. It's something that makes sense to you deeply. And that's why it's valued. And even though people don't pay attention in, you know, they look, oh, yeah, that's really true. And then they go on about their business, you know. But the fact that it stops you in your tracks and you go, wow, that's really true, means that you know that. That's you. It's, right. it's you because have, you, have you agree. Buds. You have taste buds for wisdom as surely as you have for exactly. food. Exactly. So if you're not... You know, there's, there's the other. I think it's Calvinism too. That you know, if 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 you're if you're following God's wishes, then you'll you'll be rich, because that's what you know. It's your reward for doing the right thing. Uh, I don't know about that because I know people who are not rich that have it 
pretty much together. <laughs> but the one thing that's true is that if you're if you're making the right decisions and learning and growing in the right way, right in quotes, you will be healthier. You will be happier. You may not be rich, because that's just you know a question of priority. But and and, and opportunity. I mean, not everybody. If everybody were rich, who would clean up? You know, <laughs> who who would do the dirty work, right? Well, but I think it, it it comes it comes back to full circle to what you were saying about you know your your training as a chef and and the the road to to mastery and excellence is the the things we do and the things we experience in life are sort of lagging indicators of who we are. Exactly. Exactly. So and and uh, and, and and you can be somebody of you know somebody who never paid attention, somebody who was just kind of going along. And at one point you could be something could trigger a sense that wow, I, there there could actually be more. You know, I could, I could improve my, my my level of enjoyment. I can improve the, the, the quality of my of my living experience. And then you, and then off you go. You know, you, you don't have to settle for less, and it doesn't have to be expensive. You just have to pay attention. You know, you just have to you just have to follow that, that inner. You know, we're creatures of hunger, but it's not just food that we hunger for. We, we we hunger for enjoyment. We 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 hung we we crave the the good feeling, and whenever we get it, it makes perfect sense. And if we don't have it, nothing makes sense. And that's that's an indicator, you know. And, and, and if you start pursuing not just you know hedonistic pleasure, I mean that's fine. But if, if you're paying attention, eventually you'll realize that too much of a good thing can actually be a negative thing. So you, you find, okay, I need to balance this. You know, I, I got to have something with that fat that I need. <laughs> mm. I also need some fresh vegetables. Yeah. I also, I also need rest. You know, you party all night long is great when you're 18, but when you get to be, you know, 50, 60, sleep is good too. <laughs> it's good to rest. You know, and, and then it's 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 a trial and error thing. There's no instruction manual. The only one we have is feel good, feel bad. You know, and right. and it, when you're young, feel good most of the time is you know feel good. You know, you can really take it to a to an extreme and really not pay that much of a price. Yeah, a little hangover here and there or something, but as you get older, you need to become wiser because that major dose of feel good can come with a downside that you don't enjoy and you learn that look you know i i can't it is possible to enjoy every single moment of my life it is possible i just have to pay attention <laughs> and it, and i have to learn you know what my limits are you know right. from, from the big picture the problem with our civilization is not too much pleasure but almost none well, settling, settling for less. Yeah, it reminds yeah. me of a a lyric from uh, "Bird on the Bird on a Wire" by Leonard Cohen. Mm -hmm. He said, "I saw a beggar leaning on his wooden crutch. He said to me, 'You must not ask for so much.' But a pretty woman, pretty woman leaning in her darkened door, cried to me, 'Hey, why not ask for more?'" 
<laughs> yeah, who do we want to be listening to? The, the 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 beggars with their crutches who are trying to sell us, you know, momentary anodynes, or or you know, people who can appreciate the beauty of life, saying there's so much more that's here for us. Right. If you learn, if you learn to take to take what life offers in just the right proportion so that you get the maximum pleasure and the minimum pain. And that takes a little, it takes paying attention and it takes learning. You know, it, it, you, have to, you have to understand, okay, well, you know, I can't just eat the whole bag of potato chips. The first three were really tasty. But when I get down to halfway through, it already starts feeling kind of yucky. <laughs> and when I've eaten the whole thing, I feel really bad. Yeah, it's it's, right. it's you have to you have to learn. You have to be willing to learn, and you have to you have to be in tune with that inherent drive for joy, so that you don't cross the line, and and then you're not enjoying it anymore. You know, and, and it's it's not any fun. There's there's a balance you have to strike. And for me, not eating animal products, you know, in my taste memory, a steak still tastes great. Foie gras is still like, whoa, that has an incredible flavor, that unctuous, you know. But I don't want to pay the price in terms of health and how I feel, how I view myself, you know. You know, I, I, I don't I don't want to be the person that says, I don't care if this thing had to live in a crate its whole life. It's tender and juicy, you know. I can't I, I when I, I I don't want to view myself that way. I need to be a person who's conscious and I need to be free of guilt and free of doubt. And so this is the way I'm living. You <laughs> know, it's really simple. Yeah. And I just want to reflect to you, you know, that the power of, of that come from Compared to, so, you know, a lot of people in the plant-based movement um, and even, you know, my people that I admire and learn from and support wholeheartedly still come from a place of we do this to avoid things. We do this to avoid disease. We do this to avoid cruelty. We do this to avoid early death. And it's, it's, there's a way in which people listen to this can, can really sort of groove on the fear-based energy. And I right. love how you're framing this as an entirely positive thing. You know, more pleasure, joy, and that's enough of a reason to do everything. You don't have to just sit there and worry about, you know, heart attacks and strokes and diabetes. That, does, that doesn't have to be the thing on your refrigerator door that motivates you to make good choices. Yeah, you know, I don't have to have anything on my refrigerator door. <laughs> I could just go in and pick things out. You know, and my wife's not vegan. She has, you know, I, and, and when I, you know, she's, well, you need eggs. Well, okay, so I'll buy the $7 carton of eggs that are purported to be raised, uh, you know, in a pasture, you know, where they can actually actually express their chickenness and, and hunt and peck and scratch and do their things. I don't know if that's really happening, but that's the best I can do. <laughs> and it's like, well, they're expensive. Well, yeah, they are expensive because when you raise animals in any any semblance of kindness and, and compassion for, for them in their nature and allow them to live a, a, a normal life as that creature, it isn't cheap. <laughs> you know, get over it. That's the way it is. Right. You know? Well, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't buy if you had the money, you wouldn't buy the cheapest car ever made. You wouldn't go to the cheapest uh, tax attorney. 
Yeah, and if you did, you wouldn't brag about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I know. I mean, I know that I know there are there are people. I mean, there were some millionaires that they 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 revel in how how little they paid for their suit. You know, mm, right? It's it's like I look at the deal I got, but they're not the ones that I admire the most. You know, the ones that actually the 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 the, the, the wealthy people that I've admired the most. Are the ones who got rich as a byproduct of doing something they really love to do really well, you know, singers, uh, artists, entrepreneurs, people who who just really loved what they were doing, inventors, people that invented something, you know, and 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 they and they and they did really well and they got really rich. But their their motivation was not, and, and, and the, the the opposite was people who felt insecure and they wanted to become really rich, so they can be the guy, you know, they could be the, the one. And I, I worked for this guy early on, you know, uh, he he was worth well over a hundred million when I started working for him. But his demeanor was always this guy who felt like he wasn't rich and there were other people who were more wealthy than him and he had to compete and he had to claw his way. He, had to, he felt poor because the people that he wanted to hobnob with were richer than him. They had, you know, he had a, he had a Lisa jet. They owned a Gulfstream, you know. Mm. It was like he, he was poor. But to me, it's like, well, what the, what the hell? is the point of being rich if you still feel poor you know and and then there were people who you probably had less money than him but who felt absolutely rich because they were able to do what they loved doing and it made them money that's you know right. well there's yeah there's so there's so many ways in which we can we can trust our desires or we can you know, allow ourselves to take our eye off the ball and and get misled by them. So I really, you know, I appreciate that uh, that initial sentence that uh, attention is the currency of love. And I think yeah. it's kind of it's kind of the key. You can get everywhere we got to in this call, not by listening to us, but by just paying attention with some some exquisite care to your own life. That's right. It, it, valuing valuing the heart more than the mind valuing the thing that feels but doesn't say anything over the thing that says everything but doesn't feel anything <laughs> you know because the, the mind you know most people don't know this the mind is not your friend you know it's 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 like hal you ever see 2001 yeah. <laughs> you know it'll run all your systems for you but it'll also decide for you what's best for you and a lot of times it, it could it could be the end of you you know, it, it 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 comes up with wild ideas of what might be. Let's let's go bungee jumping, or let's go, you know, and it could be good, or you know, it, it could be the last thing you ever do. <laughs> and and it'll tell you, you know, oh, let's let's go out to a bar. Let's pick, you know, see if we can, you know, have some fun. And then you go to the bar. It's like, well, you know, oh, let's do some tequila shots. That looks like fun. Well, let's just have more. Let's have more. Let's have more. Let's have more. And finally, it's like, wait a minute, I don't feel so good. Oh, well, you idiot! Why did you drink so much? It'll start berating you for doing exactly what it was suggesting in the first place, and so it's really not your friend. You know, it's it's a great tool, but it's it's if if you if you, if you don't put some limits on it, it actually is is it's like your worst enemy. And the heart, 
doesn't tell you to do anything. It doesn't have any suggestions. It doesn't, it, you know, all, all the heart will tell you is whether you feel right about it or not. And, to, and in order for that to be a tool that you use, you have to pay attention. <laughs> you have to want to know what's right. You have to want to to be, improve. You want to you want have to want to learn, and that's something that you you know no one else can do this for you. Only you can be awake. Only you can pay attention for your own self. And when you do, I mean, I, I mean, I remember when you, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, you you knew when you were doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. You would do it anyway. But you knew, and as you grow older, what happens is if you as you stop paying attention because you 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 the thing that you want to do overrides the thing you know you need to do, and so you do it often enough, and finally the heart just becomes this duller, silent, more quieter. You can't even hear it anymore. You can't even feel it because all you're doing is you're trying to, you know, make more money or get more whatever, and then and then at a certain point you don't even know when it happens. Getting the things that you enjoy don't give you any joy, and you. But you're in the habit of acquiring them because you think if you've just had more of them, you'd you'd have to you'd have that feeling again, and you keep going and going, and then and then people lose touch, and then they lose hope, and and then some people they you know they get depressed and they kill themselves because they don't they don't they lose t- they lose contact with the only thing that can actually experience joy, <laughs> which is the heart. Right. Well, I, I can't remember where I read it, but it's, uh, you can never get enough of what you don't really need. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There's no end. What we There's really, no amount. What we, really, what we really want is sort of, you know, infinity. We want, we want, we want to know that we're, we're part of everything there is. And anything that falls short of that is not enough. That's right. And so the, 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 what people do is they try to get more and more and more and more infinite amount of the thing which is finite. You know, I, I, have you ever thought about what a billion is? A thousand million? I mean, how, even if you invested it in, in invested, even if you just put it in the bank where you get like 0.1 interest or something, it's still like $10 million a year. Hmm. How much do you need? You know, and yet... It's it's they're they're you know I, I worked with this one guy who was worth six billion then he's probably worth twenty billion now. Uh, I, why, you know, at, at what point do you just say I have enough? You know, at what point do you just say, well, this is it? Now I have to really figure out what life is about because it's not about this. Because if it was, you know, my I would be happier. You know, it's it's uh, the thing we're looking for is not outside of us; it's inside of us. And all that, you know, working and it's it's really to create enough sustenance so that you can feel comfortable enough to slow down and find the thing that you're really looking for. And it's the same thing in a rich person as in a poor person. It's exactly the same thing. Everyone has it. It's it's put there from the very beginning. A baby can experience it, you know. And it doesn't take much for a baby to be content. All it takes is not to be inconvenienced. 
<laughs> as long as it's not cold or wet or hungry or lonely, it, the baby's fine. The baby's happy. And you just as you as you begin to you know develop and make contact with the so-called outside world, and you become entranced with all the pleasures that that are available to you, you begin to believe that the pleasure is in the thing. Oh, if I had that toy, if I had this, if I had that, then I, you know, oh, that's great. Oh, I want another. And my son was amazing. I mean, he would, (laughs) I couldn't believe how quickly he learned. That, you know, he would, oh, I want that. And he would, we, he would insist that we, so, so I would take him to, it was, you know, the things he wanted were cheap, so he'd go and buy it, you know. And on the way home, he would say, hey, Dad, do you think we could return this? Because yeah. he realized, I said, yeah, this really isn't that great. <laughs> I said, sure, you know, so we'd drive back to the store and return it and get something else. Well, and pretty that, that. That's, that's the spiritual wisdom in Saturday morning cartoon ads. quickly you learn that the thing is not nearly as amazing as it was in the commercial yeah yeah it's 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 they make it they make it appealing to you so you'll buy it but as soon as you have it it's like the the appeal is gone because you're looking at something else you don't have maybe the promise is over there and it's all because nothing in this world points to inside of us it all points outside of us. Look at this. Look at this. Because there's no profit in what you already have. It's only in what you don't have. And the perception that if you had it, everything would be so much nicer. And it, you know, it is for a little bit. I mean, when you get a you get a brand new car. It's like, ooh, look at this. Well, I I, I had a house in 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 California. It was it was actually it was a, one of those like a condo, but you, but you actually own the dirt that it's sitting on. I don't know what it's called. Um, and it was a tract home, you know, and everything was, you know, none of the angles were exactly right because it was just thrown together. And I had a friend of mine who's a, who's a cabinet maker. He he redid my kitchen, and we got a granite countertop, and we did we tricked it out. We do. I mean, I I picked everything really. You know, it was a beautiful. And at night, I would go in and I would just because I had the they had the 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 there was like under under the cabinet lights and uh, the. the, the the recessed lighting and, and, and I would just go in and I would just like turn the lights up and down and I would just look at the granite kind of, it was so beautiful I would just there and look I would really enjoyed it I mean I would just there and look at it and look at it and look at it it was so beautiful and eventually it didn't really matter you know it, it lost it, it it lost that kind of thrill I was just working it it was nicer to work in it than the one before with the linoleum and all that but it's like you know the things that you that you appreciate on the outside slowly lose their value, and you they constantly need an upgrade. They constantly, you constantly need something new to fill that space. But the enjoyment that you have, if you turn within and you just experience the feeling that you have inside, it never gets old. It's always enjoyable. Well, you know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, I, I learned meditation from a, uh, a guy named uh, Adyashanti mm-hmm. who talks about, you know, when you sit down, most people, when they sit down to meditate, they're, they're still looking for something. They're looking for enlightenment or peace or calm or happiness. <laughs> and he says, the minute you sit down, just close your eyes and ask yourself, is the peace and happiness that I'm looking for, is it, tr- is it not true that it's here right now? 
you know, that because the truth is you are, you are already what you are seeking. Right. And so then every everything that you get, all the nice things, and I love nice things, all the nice things we get, they're doing their job if they're reminding us of that. If they're if they're eliciting from us gratitude and love and appreciation and warm memories and happiness, then they're doing their job. Right. They're, they're mirrors. Hire them. They're doing their job. <laughs> <laughs> they're hired. They're hired. Yeah. So, when they when they start reminding you of what you don't have, fire them. <laughs> <laughs> no good. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we already we already have everything that we want, but we we believe the mind, which can only look out. It mind the mind cannot look in. You know, when that with that thing where you when you're looking for happiness, the thing that's looking for happiness is exactly the thing that will never find it. You know, happiness is already there, and you have to you have to let go of the thing that craves, in order to just be there with the thing that you know you, you can't get it by grabbing it. You know, there, there's no hand that can go there, and yet, it, and yet, it, the happiness is there's there's the endless supply of it, and and it's not. The happiness of like, oh, I'm happy because I know this, or I have this, or I have this. The happiness, of, it's happiness itself, the feeling. And that's in ample supply. But you just have to stop craving everything else for a minute. <laughs> stop putting a label on it and chasing it, you know. Well, we, we have traveled far afield from uh, from Aleppo pepper and uh, and uh, tortillas and I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of, of your time um, and I did you know I have in my notes here I want to talk to you about paleo vegan but I think that will have to be another another interview another time well you know I can I can save you a lot of time paleo just means old and it's a it, it refers to a time er, early in our human evolution when we had well, it'd be back far enough. We we hadn't even discovered fire, and when we had to put up with in, unimaginable inconvenience, uh, with, for us, you know, unimaginable for us, never, you know, and eating things that we would not even recognize as food, slugs, termites, you know, and uh, in my view, evolution goes forward exclusively it does not go backward it it is an inherent drive towards improvement towards greater consciousness greater enjoyment greater ease uh that's you know refinement that's what evolution is all about if something wasn't quite working it would fall away and whatever worked would 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 take precedence and natural selection is not it's not survival of the fittest it's survival of the most adaptable, the one that can actually fit with the change. Those those creatures that were able to to adapt survived. The ones that couldn't adapt died. <laughs> and and so we've come to where we are now. And now we can we have a much better grip on on our choices and what's available to us. So why the hell would we go back to eating black people did when, when, you know, when it was 
abject. I mean, for us, it would be abject poverty. It would be horrible to to be in the old Stone Age. Not to mention that you know the, the Paleo movement is all about eating meat and feeling good about it. The, in two two and a half million years ago, they were not adept at hunting. They really weren't. Mostly, what they ate was forage stuff, plants. So, if you really want to eat Paleo. Go out in the woods with nothing but a stick and a stone, and see what you come back with. And see what you see what you're able to acquire. It wasn't until almost like the, the you know the new Stone Age when they said, "Oh, stone on stick," yeah. <laughs> and then then they became more aggressive and they started actually killing creatures and killing each other. And and yeah, I mean, why go back? You know, we've got this far. We, we've we've learned, and I think what we need to do now is is learn to make the things that we've recognized as good, make them inexpensively and sustainably, so that we don't have to pay such a steep price for our comfort. Mm. Use our innovation for that, you know, not 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 for making excuses to 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 live like unconscious beasts you know right right on that's just that's just my opinion (laughs) yeah (laughs) well it's it's i I love that it puts it puts everything into uh, that we've talked about into a context like what are what are we what are we doing here so i'm gonna leave what are we what are we doing here yeah good question (laughs) i want to leave people with that and alan redinger i want to thank you so much for my pleasure i've enjoyed this time and your thoughts um if people want more of you how should they get it where can they go oh, well they go to my website alanredinger.com that's a-l-a-n-r-o-e-t-t-i-n-g-e-r.com i have a blog that uh, i haven't paid much attention to lately because i've been so busy but uh and i try not to put things up unless they mean something to me so fewer better ones i think um, then my books are there. I, I like to say that buying them from the author is is fair trade, hmm. and uh, you can buy them from the Walmart of books known as Amazon. But if you want to, you know, support the author, you can buy them directly from me. Um, and uh, I hope that I'm putting up things that uh, are valuable to people. Well, I've I have been inspired. Um, people I've cooked for have been thrilled, and. That's just from uh, a couple dozen of the recipes out of uh, the hundreds that you have put put out in the in the public domain for us to all enjoy. So well, that makes Redinger, my day. Th- thank you so much for 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 speaking with me today and for all the work you do. It's been a pleasure and an honor to talk to you. Thank you. I feel the same way. Thank you. All right. Be well. All right. You too. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye.